Government. We all know it's important to understand, be it state, local, or national, but doesn't the thought of it just make you want to, well, drink? If so, you're in the right place. I'm Angel Romero, your politics and pints aficionado, and this is Ballots and Brews, where we'll talk all things local beer while also diving into what in the world is happening at the local, state, and national government and what you can do about it. It's Schoolhouse Rocks meets The Daily Show meets C-SPAN, so let's get this show started. Well, hey, good evening, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Ballads and Brews. As always, we have a packed show tonight where we get to talk about the latest and greatest happenings in local and state government, including all the wackiness happening at the state legislature. Uh, but before we do any of that, uh, we're going to start like we always do with beer. Um, and we are so fortunate tonight to have with us Ryan Cavanaugh, one of the co-owners of Brewbank Topeka. Ryan, thanks for hanging out with us again tonight. Oh, it's it's a pleasure anytime, Angel. It's uh, it's always great to talk with you about what's going on, and I appreciate you keeping us all up to date on what's going on. Hey, absolutely, I try, I try. <laughs> <laughs> you do a great job. Well, thanks. Well, you know, it's been it's been a couple months since we uh, last chatted, and as we were just talking about a little earlier, that that COVID thing just uh, keeps uh, it keeps seeming to hang around. It doesn't want to leave us alone. So, you know how know. how has business been for you guys? Well, it was um, a really good uh, kind of holiday, fall, Christmas uh, season for us. We did um, about probably 60% of what we were doing before COVID. Um, but then like everything, as soon as the year turns over, you know, it's cold usually. And people have just had Christmas and New Year's and holidays. And so it slows down a little bit in January, but um, we've been really pleased at our lunches so far this year. And, um, you know, it's just it's such a great community. We're, we're, uh, we're not worried as we were a couple years ago, but it's sure. still definitely there. Definitely an issue. Well, absolutely. And, you know, how do you guys, so, you know, you guys have been done a really good job, I think, of adapting and, and really doing, you know, when that, when there's things that need to be canceled or moved or adjusted in order to keep uh, people safe, you guys have done a really good job with that. Yeah. What's that been like for you guys to, to try and balance it all out and figure out how to keep the business running, but also try to keep people safe at the same time? Well, we've uh, continued to to require our staff to wear masks, even though we're all vaccinated and boosted. Um, and we also wear latex gloves just for an added level of, of safety. And it also just lets people see visually that we're we're very aware and very, um, very concerned about the safety of our guests. And that's our number one priority. And we've, you know, we had to do it for our last, uh, cocktail class of the year. Three of us had to get COVID tests and well, we were all negative, but we couldn't go ahead with the, te- the normal class. So we had it last night as a makeup sure. and people, uh, uh, for the whole have been really, uh, really gracious and understanding because I think it's happening well, I know it's happening everywhere, yeah. but it's, uh, you know, impacting everyone, uh, for sure. So it's been a challenge, but you know, we've almost come to kind of thrive on 
how do we make this work? Oh my goodness. I know the, 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 I, the, they talk about that decision fatigue. I feel like there's like creativity fatigue too. Like I've had to be creative <laughs> a lot this last year. Like, I'm kind of over it. <laughs> I agree. That's so funny. I don't want to be creative anymore. <laughs> I just want something really plain. Like I'm, I'm like, I swear at some point in the future, I'm going to be like, I just do it like last year. Like I can't wait to say that again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so perfect. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, you know, That's so uh, good. Look, look ahead. You know, anything uh, new and exciting to know about with uh, uh, what's happening on tap at your guys' place? We've uh, kind of just gone into the beginning of this year looking for some really exciting beers, uh, especially this spring. Um, right now we have a few seasonals that'll be making their way to our taps here in the next couple of weeks. We've um, just got a bunch of uh, really great stuff that's going to be coming out soon. And then we've got our, um, we've barrel aged a whiskey oh. that we're going to use to make Manhattans with and, nice. um, old fashions. And that'll be early February. We're doing our Valentine's mixology class in January. And then next month will be uh, St. Patrick's day for March. So got, uh, we do first Friday art now every, every month. So January's artist had an issue and couldn't, do it so we'll be starting up in february again with an artist and and just you know continuing to try to be involved in the community and have the community kind of learn to seek us out for other opportunities as well so oh awesome oh very cool that's exciting yeah, that's what we should remind folks um there of course that those taps are are ever changing um and so no matter when they come in uh, there's going to be something uh, new and different they can find on tab yeah, we uh, 26 different beers on tap. And it, 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 I mean, if you came in three or four days in a row, we'd have some similar stuff. But typically every week we change almost all of them. So it's um, untapped is a very popular yeah. app to keep track of what's on coming up and all that stuff. So if folks want to know about things on tap is a great way to do it. It'll let you know when we tap beer and what we tap and kind of a cool way to keep in touch but we put it on facebook and instagram and all that stuff too so awesome yeah it's good we try to be social yeah absolutely get on the social medias it's a good it's a good thing yeah <laughs> well yeah. of course in addition to uh to delicious beer you guys have some excellent food choices as well if you want to remind folks about some of your food specials and you've got some lunch specials that are really good to you that some people might not always might not always remember yeah. And as you're saying that, I was like, oh, yeah, we actually we have happy hour now every day of the week that we're open Tuesday through uh, Saturday from 3.30 to 5.30. Uh, every tap beer is uh, 10 cents off. And then we offer now happy hour uh, cocktails. We have some uh, the patio hito, one of our old fashions, um, one of our margaritas are all on the happy hour drink special, which is uh, $6, I think, for those. And then we have pared down versions of our uh, charcuterie boards. Uh, so it's a cheese ball with a few crackers to choose from. And then um, those are also $6 as well. We have nachos and stuff. <clears throat> That's in addition to our everyday lunch special that is uh, you get a half a pizza and a half a salad. We have about seven pizzas to choose from and just about as many salads. You can do half and half. That's $10. And that's uh, our lunch special every day of the week. And it's usually in about 10 minutes. We, we originally yes. were doing 10 items for $10 in 10 minutes or less. Um, 
but COVID changed that a little bit, but we can still get it out pretty quickly if, if people are in a hurry, which is something that's been great because not everybody has time to, to go out and take lunch. So we get a lot of folks coming in for a quick lunch. So that's a, a popular popular one for sure. Absolutely. I was going to say, I remember being a, a former state employee um, on my lunch break down there and, and that would be a very popular thing. Uh, I know for me to be able to know I could get in and out pretty quickly. Absolutely. And and Tuesdays are our state employee recognition day. So we, we do a 20% off for state employees nice. um, on Tuesdays. And, um, you know, we every week look forward to your order and running it out to you at the curb. That's when, this is when the curbside I think is going to really take off when it's 30 below zero right? curbside orders are going to go through the roof. Uh, nobody wants to get out of their car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so true. It's cool. the most amazing invention ever. I can sit in my car and call it's it and so it's out to me. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so amazing. Yeah. Oh, and we're happy awesome. to do it too. Oh, that's great. That's so great. If it's super cold, come to Burbank and we'll bring it to you. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It's <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, you know, we talked about some of your um, events earlier. Yeah, as you think about the next couple of weeks, it's month or so, uh, any events coming up that people should know about? Um, probably the Valentine's uh, kind of the, we're going to open that cask keg um, and do some specials with it on the 12th of uh, February. Okay. And that'll lead us into, uh, we're going to have a couple special beers on tap that are um, from the West Coast that are just for Valentine's Day, sort of a chocolate stout with some cherries and some other fun stuff going on. And then um, we'll have the the special barrel-aged whiskey to, to try as well. So that's probably the next thing. And then um, we're going to have a tap takeover with Fields and Ivy as well next month. So oh, nice. those are probably two of the bigger ones, but um, lots of fun for sure to come out and enjoy. So. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, just a reminder to folks out there listening, make sure to follow them um, on the socials uh, to keep up the new yes. job. Keep people up to date on those. Yeah, we try to do our best and we're uh, also happy to field any questions through those um, outlets as well. If people need clarification or just want to ask a question about how things work or whatever, and uh, we're, we're, we try to respond pretty quickly. So we, we know that uh, we exist because of our community and we do not take that lightly. So we are always happy to help and do anything we can. Um, and, you know, we uh, we just can't thank you know people like you and this show and, and the people that have kept in touch with us and and supported us it's just been it's it's makes us speechless so it's uh, it's really incredible oh that's awesome well the feeling's mutual to you yeah. we appreciate you all as well, well so that's awesome that's, that's wonderful <laughs> thank well, you well then when it comes to the community too and you know we think about the legislature just going back in the session of course they actually um you know made it possible for you guys to be able to open um in the first place and you know that kind of kicked off they've been over this last year especially kind of i think brought on by the pandemic and what uh, the legislature has been more active in looking at uh liquor laws and, and then laws affect booths in Kansas, and they've kind of made it known that they're going to continue um, doing that. You know, is there anything um, that you're kind of hopeful that they'll uh, take a look at or address in this coming year? Really, the only thing, I mean, it's, they've done an incredible job with so many big decisions. And I mean, I guess I can say that because we benefited from it. So sure. clearly there are those who may not agree with me there, but I think uh, for us, the um, having guests have to prepay 
Um, so if you went into any bar in the city and, and ordered a beverage, they would uh, either take your credit card or you would pay right then. And, and with our system, we have to ask you to kind of guess how much you're going to spend. And it's, uh, it makes it a challenge when we're really busy to, to kind of go through that with people, as opposed to handing someone a card after checking their ID and holding on to their credit card. And then they can ring it up and then they turn it in and pay at the end of the night. Uh, that would be the only thing that we would want to have changed, oh, yeah. but it's a big ask. So we're, we're okay if that doesn't make it through this year. We know they've got other stuff going on. So. Sure, sure. We'll but, um, add on the list. Yeah, just put it on the bottom there somewhere. <laughs> um, we know they've got bigger, much bigger pressing things and um but you know just that they're willing to listen and and it's it's a great change from the attitude of the past i'm excited and i think they've seen a benefit i know that it's benefited the community a lot and it hasn't been this terrible thing that i think everyone was afraid of it being somehow uh, dangerous or bad and and it's uh, i'm glad that it's shown to be a very positive thing you know just because people can get alcohol doesn't mean that every person is going to do something bad or take advantage of it. And so I think it's been great to have a positive response and they're obviously going, well, maybe we're doing some good stuff and let keep looking at it. I think it's, it's got a great potential and uh, we're just all going to win. I think is the big part. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's definitely Mark a, a different, uh, a different mind mindset, kind of a mind shift and hopefully kind of open some eyes. I think in the last year, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's very good. So, um, but I know they've got, uh, so much going on. So I, I, you know, if that's all we can complain about, that's, that's pretty good. And it isn't a complaint as much as it's, it's just, sure. you, know, you want to make a change, but. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, very cool. Well, right. Anything else before we wrap up that you want people to know? No, I, I just, uh, you know, we, again, it may sound like lip service, but we cannot thank this community enough. And, and we, we try, we don't always do a great job and we will admit it if we don't and try to make it right. And just, you know, it's crazy time. So let's just kind of be there for each other as much as we can. And, um, you know, support local is, is so important. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Ryan, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Oh, it's so great as usual. Thank yeah. you so much for having me and uh, we appreciate it. And we love being on your show. Anytime you need us, we can, we can come in and talk about anything. Beer especially. Thanks so much, Angel. Yeah, we appreciate for, it. Absolutely. And for, for folks out there listening, of course, make sure to look up Brewbank um, on social media to stay connected with them and their events they have going on and make sure to, to stop down and visit either in person or curbside to go. Um, if you will, if you see me curbside to go, feel free to wave um, as well as we're waiting for our food um, out in the parking <laughs> lot. Uh, so when it's folks, freezing. Absolutely. As we're nice and warm in our cars waiting for our food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so great. That's awesome. Uh, well, for folks listening out there, go ahead and stay tuned. Up next, we will have our beer flight of the night. You are listening to Bounce and Brews here on KSS 785 Live Radio. Seven eight five magazine is proud to present KSEF Digital Radio, Topeka, Kansas. That's the thing you're listening to right now, and we're celebrating everything local and everything Topeka. Learn more at 785live.com and thanks for tuning in. All right, folks. 
certainly a lot to cover in tonight's beer fight, so let's get to it. Uh, first up is the ARPA Pale Ale. Uh, ARPA, in this case, is the American Rescue Plan Act. Um, as we mentioned before, this was the bill that was passed by Congress last year to provide some much-needed COVID relief uh, to communities, and that uh, legislation is set to make it rain about $45 million on the city of Tobacco over the next two years. So the task at hand is how to spend that money. Um, as you'll remember us discussing last time, the city council held a half-day workshop last weekend to talk about that very process. Uh, but despite my very best nerdy hopes and dreams, I guess you might not have had the chance to tune into that marathon civic exercise, and that's okay. Uh, thankfully, we are going to break it all down here for you. Uh, Cap Journal has a great article uh, talking about the result of this meeting. Now, city council members decided to do a couple things. Uh, first, they picked off uh, $35 million of the total right off the top. And they said, we're going to use $35 million of that $45 million for infrastructure projects in the city. Now, of course, infrastructure is a broad term that can mean any number of things. And based on some of the city council's discussions, it looks like a lot of that money could be going towards assuring uh, our water infrastructure, specifically in the city, uh, water mains, that sort of thing. If any of you are as blessed as I am to have the Nextdoor app on your phone, you, of course, see that once the temperature drops below a certain degree, it's pretty much open season on water main breaks in the city. Um, and the city recognizes that, and they want to do something about it. Side note, if you aren't on the Nextdoor next app, I cannot stress enough how entertaining slash slightly bizarre it is. Uh, trust me, you need to get it. It's like a combination of every person over a certain age on Facebook that you know who types in all caps, plus sweet, innocent new people in town who just want to meet people, plus people who like to report on Fox sightings in their, in their neighborhood. And no, Fox is not a euphemism here. I mean, like, literal foxes. There's one in my neighborhood, and Mary is a little concerned about it because it wasn't looking so good lately. Anyway, uh, y'all gotta get this app and check it out and see what I mean. Uh, but when you say that was only $35 million of the $45 million, what about the other $10 million. Well, the council doesn't have a defined plan for those dollars yet. Instead, what they have done is referred it to the council's policy and finance committee, um, and they are charged with coming up with a plan on how to allocate those dollars. Uh, so good luck to those folks. Uh, that is not an easy task. Uh, that committee, by the way, includes Deputy Mayor Spencer Duncan, as well as Councilwoman Hannah Nager and Councilman Tony Emerson. So you can feel free to reach out to them if you have any uh, grand thoughts or ideas on how to spend $10 million. And just as a note, too, at their February 1st city council meeting, the city is set to formally approve uh, their expenditure of the $35 million on infrastructure. Uh, that is where there will be an opportunity for public comment on that plan. That workshop that was held last weekend was just a workshop, and there actually was no opportunity at that meeting for public comment. Uh, but the idea is that the recommendation would go to the full city council on the 1st, and then at that time, people would, of course, have the opportunity to give public comment then. All right, next up, and I, I cannot uh, stress enough, if you don't have a beverage right now, now is the time to get one. Because, yeah, we're about to get into some cray-cray uh, territory. Next up is our Horseville IPA. Uh, we've got to talk about the horse this. And, and y'all knew this was coming, right? You knew that we weren't going to get, like, a month into the legislative session without some legislator somewhere being like, but why can't I get my horse? Horse be warmer to cure the COVID. 
So here you go. You can check this one off your bingo card. Uh, as reported by the Kansas Reflector, Senator Mark Steffen from Hutchinson had a banner day in the legislature this week. Uh, in one day, he managed to accuse the chief medical director of the University of Kansas Health System of spreading propaganda and accusing him of being Kansas's version of Dr. Fauci. Uh, there's a lot going on in that sentence right there. Uh, I kid you not. He also introduced a bill that would give doctors, of which he is one, by the way, he's an anesthesiologist, uh, he introduced a bill that would give doctors the authority to treat COVID-19 with, quote, off-label drugs like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. It gets better, though. Not only does this bill allow doctors to prescribe the medicine, it also requires pharmacists to fill the prescription. A prescription that health officials widely say is not only ineffective, but also potentially harmful to people. And the chef's kiss of all of this, doctors are granted full immunity from civil liability for any damages that the drug may cause. So, your doctor can prescribe some batshit crazy medicine, medicine your pharmacist knows is batshit crazy, but would then be required by law to fill, and then if said batshit crazy medicine does in fact harm you, you're kind of SOL when it comes to seeking damages. That's where we're at right now. Oh, and the bill would also reverse any disciplinary actions taken against doctors so far who prescribe this medicine and prevent them from being sanctioned going forward. And here's the really rich part. Senator Stephan is one of those doctors under investigation for prescribing ivermectin. Turns out he's been under investigation by the State Board of Healing Arts for a year and a half. Uh, to add to the circus-like atmosphere around all of this, about 57 folks showed up to the hearing on the bill to support his legislation. And of course, this was a mostly maskless crowd. Remember, there are no rules requiring mask use in the statehouse to begin with. And they spent a majority of their time laughing and mocking any mention of the vaccines as safe and effective. Uh, with one proponent invoking the words of infamous Nazi doctor Joseph Goebbels, who once said, if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. At least no one showed up wearing fake stars of David, though, this time. So, there's that. Uh, see, I told you, you're going to need a beer to get through this, this section. Uh, we could spend literally the rest of this program reviewing the stats from our own hospitals about the numbers of vaccinated versus unvaccinated patients who are gravely ill, and about how even those who are vaccinated and do end up getting sick end up being far less sick than their unvaccinated peers, and how ivermectin is still undergoing clinical trials and has not been approved are authorized by the FDA, and how ivermectin can be incredibly dangerous for humans, especially because it tends to be highly concentrated since it's used for, you know, cows and horses and livestock that weigh a lot more than humans, and that ivermectin contains inactive ingredients that are absolutely not evaluated for use in humans, and, and, and the list goes on. Uh, but we don't have that kind of time right now. Instead, we've got to move on. See what I did there? Alright, next up is the Food Fight Quarter. Uh, as many of you will remember, Governor Carrie Nation here a couple months ago tried out her big old axe and said it was time to axe the Kansas food tax. And so the legislature has begun work to do just that. Uh, there are actually two bills introduced this week that would cut the sales tax on food. Um, again, there is more reporting courtesy of the Kansas Reflector on this topic if you'd like to read more. Uh, so we've got two House bills actually out there. House Bill 2484 and House Bill 2487. 
Both proposals will evade the food sales tax, but with some slight differences, so stay with me here. House Bill 2484 eliminates the sales tax on food and food ingredients, including items sold at restaurants. So that food that comes to you at restaurants will also be exempt um, from the food sales tax. That's key uh, to that bill. That bill would also take effect on January 1st, 2023, so it will take effect next year. The other bill, House Bill 2487, would make the repeal effective faster. It would actually make the repeal effective on July 1st of this year, but it would not extend to prepared food from restaurants. Uh, so that's a key difference between 2487 and 2484. Um, but 2487 does provide an exemption for sales on farm products that are sold at a farmer's market. So any of that produce or food uh, that you buy at a farmer's market would be exempt from the food sales tax. Uh, there were a number of nonprofit agencies that spoke in favor of both these measures as a way of helping with food equity and food insecurity. Uh, full disclosure, as always, my agency and I, Way of Greater Topeka, submitted testimony in favor of House Bill 2487, uh, was the one that, that we were in favor of. Really, where there is any opposition or disagreement uh, from anyone comes on how fast to do this. Uh, remember, we're getting rid of a tax, so we're cutting off a revenue stream and a pretty profitable one at that. Uh, both bills show an impact of at least $300 million less revenue in their first year. So there are a lot of folks who just want to be careful that we aren't shortchanging ourselves when it comes to revenue. And as you heard a few weeks ago, the state does have a nice little surplus right now, but we all know that that won't always be there. Uh, one other area of difference between the two bills is what they would do to the local food sales tax. Now remember, we talked a little while ago about how cities and counties also have their own local food sales tax, and those dollars are often vital uh, to services in their communities. So it's long been the position of the cities and counties that they're okay with the state repealing the state food sales tax, but they still want that to have the ability to levy that food sales tax uh, locally. Uh, House Bill 2484 would have no impact on local food set, uh, sales tax dollars. But 2487, you'll remember, includes food sold at farmer's markets as part of the sales tax exemption. So that would cut into revenue that's generated at the local and county level. So there is that, that key difference there. Uh, one other uh, area of, uh, of difference and one uh, disagreement that came up was what to do with the state highway fund. Uh, parts of our state highway fund, fund actually rely on this infusion of tax dollars. So eliminating this revenue source uh, could potentially eliminate funding for some of these projects. Uh, House Bill 2487 actually does uh, propose to mitigate uh, some of this by pulling some retail sales tax dollars in to adjust for that loss, uh, though it doesn't take care of the whole loss. Um, so that's one area KDOT was very concerned about in their proposal was wanting to make sure that we are not shortchanging our, our those road projects that we have committed to. Uh, so, which one of these bills will get the final rose? We will have to wait and see. And finally, last but certainly not least, we have the redistricting sour. Uh, now, y'all, I might have a little whiplash still from this redistricting business. As you'll recall, all the way back to just last Thursday when this show last aired, the full Senate was just getting ready to debate the abomination that was the Ad Astra 2 map. Uh, well, since then, the bill has went to the House Committee on Redistricting this Monday, was passed to the full House Tuesday for debate, and then voted on and approved by the House on Wednesday. 
So, you heard that right. We fundamentally altered our congressional districts, put ourselves at risk of lawsuits, and ignored the expressed concerns of hundreds of Kansans in seven days. You guys, it takes me longer to binge watch a Netflix series than it did for the legislature to work these maps through. Uh, one of the interesting things about the debate in the House this week was really an almost tacit uh, admission from some Republicans that, yeah, this is a political process, and this map pretty much is gerrymandering, uh, but it is almost a direct quote from someone, uh, that's just what happens, and it is what it is. Which is mind-blowing to me, but also just an example of what you can do when you have as large a majority as Republicans have in the legislature. You can almost go to the well of the House of Representatives and outright admit this is gerrymandering, and you can even admit that it's pure politics, and it can be met with a shrug by a good portion of the majority party. Uh, Representative Stephanie Byers, a member of the House, actually wrote on Twitter that as one representative was voicing her concerns over the political nature of the Ad Astro 2 map, one Republican legislator made it a point to yawn loudly and intentionally during the speech, just to kind of give you a flavor of where the debate is at on that topic. Uh, the House debate also saw even more alternative maps proposed. I think we're up to 12 different alternative maps that were proposed all together, uh, many of which managed to keep Wyandotte and Johnson County together, or mostly together, uh, despite claims from Republican leadership that the population changes in those counties made it impossible to do so. Uh, the other argument or, or talking point that I found interesting, and we've talked about this on our social media pages, was this line about the Ad Astra 2 map having zero variance in population between congressional districts, which is true. And don't get me wrong, zero variance is awesome. Uh, however, that's not exactly the legal standard. Uh, the Constitution states that representatives should be chosen so that, quote, as nearly as is practicable, one man's vote in a congressional election is to be worth as much as another's, end quote. That's a one man, one vote standard that's been around for, for, for a long time in our jurisprudence. Uh, courts have further defined just what exactly as nearly as is practicable means. Uh, in 2012, the Supreme Court actually held that a 0.79% population deviation between districts was okay. Uh, the court further held that such minor deviation was okay as long as it was justified by, quote, legitimate state objectives. Uh, objectives which the court found in an earlier case to include things like legislative policies. Uh, so things like compactness, respecting municipal boundaries, uh, things like preserving communities of interest, like those in Wyandotte and, and Johnson County, can very well be a legitimate state objective. Uh, it bears mentioning that in many of these alternative maps that were put out there, the population deviations, if there were any, were in some cases less than 0.5%, well within the legal tolerance that was last expressed by the Supreme Court, and with a legitimate explanation as to why there would be a variance. So, what happens now? Uh, the Ad Astra 2 map will go on to the governor uh, for her signature, which she will most likely veto. Uh, however, there are veto-proof majorities in both chambers, so it's very likely uh, that Republicans will vote to overturn her veto. Uh, after that, it's probably pretty likely that the state will be sued by someone, and just like in 2012, the court, a court will probably end up drawing those maps for us. And mind you, when courts do that, no one really wins. Uh, so stay tuned. This saga is set to continue for quite a while. In 
folks, that is it for our beer flight of the night. Stay tuned after this break. We'll have our interview with Kelly Ripple from Kansans for Hemp. He'll be here to talk to us uh, about all the latest, greatest happenings with medical cannabis in Kansas. And in all honesty, y'all, it's going to blow your minds. Stay tuned. You are listening to Battles and Brews here on KSET 75 Live Radio. Seven Eight Five Magazine is proud to present KSEF Digital Radio, Topeka, Kansas. That's the thing you're listening to right now, and we're celebrating everything local and everything Topeka. Learn more at seven eight five live dot com. And thanks for tuning in. Alrighty, well, folks, uh, tonight we are really excited because we are going to take a deeper dive into uh, one of the issues that's actually in front of the Kansas legislature. Of course, this last uh, these last few weeks, we've gotten to listen to legislators, and so tonight we're going to dive into one of those issues that they're getting to work with uh, this session, uh, and that is the issue of medical cannabis. Uh, so now that I have everyone's attention, uh, here to talk to us more uh, about the ins and outs of the issue, we have Kelly Ripple, who is the co-founder of Kansans for Hemp and just an all-around good guy and friend as well. So Kelly, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Thank you so much, Angel. I'm excited to be here and um, it's <laughs> very appreciative of the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, well, you're such a wealth of knowledge on, on a lot of things, but particularly uh, this issue. And so we're like, absolutely, we need to hang out and, and talk. So so yeah, first I'm just, I'm curious, I'm sure I don't think I've ever asked this before, but how did you get into uh, this work, into your advocacy work and, and in the medical cannabis industry? Where did this passion come from? Well, this originated uh, back in the 90s when I came home from dare class one day uh, and middle school age. And I asked my parents, what do you know about this this plant uh, marijuana that we're hearing about? And they, they my dad said, well, I'll tell you what I know. And that is that um, I was a part of some research in the 70s when uh, he was getting a biology degree and he volunteered as a student in some research that they were doing. And he I, I distinctly remember one thing he said about it. He said, we found out that you couldn't actually kill it all the way. It, it'll always, it'll always come back. And I, that kind of stuck with me. I was like, wow. So we're trying, we're like spending all these resources to try to kill something that we know, we know grows well here. And it just, it didn't quite make sense to me. And so, um, long story short, I have, have kind of <laughs> devoted a lot of my life to trying to find out humanity's relationship with the plant cannabis and, and other types of, you know, drugs that we consider illegal come to find out. I, I discovered those publications and I've written about it. I was on some podcasts and things have kind of like really expanded, uh, for, from there for me, I've gone to other legal States and I, I have a global network. I've spoken at the world hemp Congress in Slovenia about this research oh I uncovered. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of opened itself up to, you know, all of the abundance of what really cannabis is and, and can lead to. And so I'm excited to, you know, share in part some of that onto you, but it's, it's, it really, for me, it goes back to the data and it's all, it's always been about um, evidence-based research. And I learned that at Emporia State University. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's very interesting and, and fascinating. 
Absolutely. That's that's way cool. And, and who knew it started with a dare class? Like who who knew? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yes. It, it, a lot of the unintended co- uh, consequences <laughs> from things like that. Absolutely. I think I said this on a show once before. So my dad was my dare officer growing up, which was like a whole thing. And it also convinced me that everything was a drug growing up. So like my poor childhood, I was just convinced drugs were around the corner at every turn everywhere I went. And yes, and that model is, you know, it, it very much based on, I, I would say fear, not necessarily what re, reflective of reality, right. but it's more about like, you need to be prepared for these types of decisions, which is still valuable. And I, there's something there that, you know, we, we still need to move forward with as far as protecting overall public health and, and educating youth about what proper use, what, what misuse, all, you know, all of these things um, really, I think with legalizing things like cannabis, especially, uh, we're moving away from the, just the criminalization aspect and, and getting more towards, Hey, this is public health, but we need to be responsible and mindful about this. And so it, it allows for those kinds of conversations to happen. Absolutely. Now, as we, as we get into this, too, I feel like it's probably important to, to clarify some terms. I know I've had to do this too over time. So folks know what we're talking about. So, you know, is there, can you explain you know, the distinction between there's, we talk about marijuana and then there's cannabis and then there's hemp and there's these words that people have used. And so can you kind of help tease out some of those distinctions for folks? I will do my best. (laughs) All right. So cannabis is the, the overall scientific term of the it's cannabis sativa. And that is uh, the scientific genus. Um, gotcha. That's the species of the plant. And so I like to use the analogy, and that is the canines. There's the category of dogs. And you've got all different types of dogs. Maltese, you've got American Bulldog. Those are different um types of dogs, but they're still canines. And so just in the way, in the same way that cannabis has different subspecies or rather um, cousins, and that includes what is considered marijuana or high THC cannabis versus um, industrial hemp, which which is more used for the, the industrial aspects of the plant. Gotcha. Gotcha. That is super. That's super helpful. Well, and you may have already known this, but the term marijuana, it, my understanding is it originated from uh, Latin America <laughs> and it was uh, from the indigenous people who lived there. They already were utilizing cannabis in the medicinal aspect of it. <laughs> and when the Spaniards came over, they introduced industrial hemp because that's what they used to make sails and rope and, and ah. you know, sh- ship um, industrial use. So the indigenous people in Latin America uh, they they use the term Mary marijuana as a way to subvert uh, the the Spanish oppression of them utilizing the plant for that specific purpose. And so they they just like St. Mary, uh, uh, marijuana, that's where that ah. came from. And so then go back, uh, I guess, forward in American history, it is very well known now that um, the term marijuana was used to demonize uh, people who use certain substances, including cannabis. And that was in the early 1900s, 1920s and 30s, when we had this really strong uh, swell. Of course, we've always had this of anti-immigrant sentiment 
And they used yellow journalism and, and fear based campaigns in the media to call call out people, uh, people of color specifically um, about using marijuana. And they, they they wanted that to be a term associated with it. Wow, wow, wow. That's uh, and we're going to dive into that, that a little bit more to that historical uh, significance, because uh, that's I think, so the, the, something that's amazed me um, the, the, the most is how, how the issue has been used um, in, in racial terms as well. Now, let me let me also just mention before we move on, Angel, um, within uh, kind of the the terminology about cannabis and and a lot of people know about CBD and the different cannabinoids or cannabinoids. There's another analogy that can be used. Let's talk about soda. Like that's a, an entire category. Well, with within the plant cannabis, there are hundreds of compounds, uh, terpenes and flavonoids and cannabinoids. And uh, those are all kind of like considered Pepsi and Coke and, you know, Sprite. There are all these different types of, you know, compounds within. So like THC, CBD, all of those are, are different um, types of constituents that the plant produces that do have documented um, benefit. Gotcha, gotcha. So, you know, when we think, when we talk about cannabis and we talk about, about hemp and hemp-related products, uh, you know, this is certainly uh, something that's, that people, of course, have, have seen a, an industry pop up around um, in recent years. You know, when we think about the state of Kansas, what's the kind of current legal landscape look like uh, for those products here in Kansas? So as of right now, you can purchase uh, or rather sell legally full spectrum products, which means you can um, sell like gummies, for example, that contain no more than 0.3% uh, THC, because that is that's the federal legal limit for industrial hemp. And that is what is uh, considered legal and lawful right now. You also um, I do want to clarify something because there is some uh, misconception about this. There are smoke shops around Topeka that sell hemp flour and uh, vaping products and, and things like that. Those are technically not lawful. Um, and so I don't know if, if people know that or uh, or not, but that is that's technically the case. And there, there is movement right now within the legislature to get that changed. Um, so, well, it'll be interesting to see how, how things unfold moving forward this session. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's one of those things, too, that it, it seems from a retailer perspective, you know, there, there are retailers out there who are who are trying to do the right thing in some cases um, and are trying to keep up with where the laws are at and that sort of thing. And I know one of the issues that's come up here recently is this issue of Delta 8, which I have to convince totally uh, baffled me uh, at first. And so, you know, if you can talk a little bit about what, what Delta 8 is and what's kind of trip people up or it's caused some confusion there. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I guess, refer back real quick to the analogy I was using about soda and, and you, you have Pepsi and Coke and different types of, uh, of soda, but, but you, you have, you know, one entire category, same with uh, THC. So there are different types of THC. There's THC 8, 9, 10, uh, THC V and THC A, which is the acidic form of that compound. And so ultimately um, what has happened is Delta 8 comes from large 
you have to have a large amount of biomass to extract down uh, to get Delta A. So Delta eight doesn't really um, it's not produced naturally within the plant at large levels. So you people have figured out that, well, there was so much industrial hemp grown in 2019, 2020, uh, 2020, and it couldn't really be sold on the CBD market because the um, it, it just that that market had tanked and they realized that through these processes, they could create Delta eight out of that. And it does produce uh, psychoactive effects is what I, what is my understanding. And there's a shop right down the street from me. Uh, that's kind of interesting. They, they say that they have to tell people that these are psychoactive and they, they will, they will cause, you know, those, those kinds of re, um, reactions. And, they don't sell any other products. They don't sell CBD or anything else. It's just uh, Delta eight, but those are um, considered lawful products as it stands right now. And that goes back to in, in 2020, the legislature passed um, the full spectrum uh, provision within the statute. Well, what that did was it created confusion from some prosecuting attorneys and uh, from law enforcement. And they were, they were questioning whether it was actually legal. So as a result, on December 2nd, the attorney general, uh, Derek Schmidt, came out with an opinion in response to the, the KBI's inquiry. And it it basically said, you know, these products are technically illegal unless it comes from uh legal industrial hemp because that is um you know industrial hemp is is legal in kansas we've got a program and so um you know it's there are some nuances with it and caveats and and so really what needs to happen is we're and and i've been working with the folks directly involved uh we're going to get something fixed here this this session so that you know we can get some a clear direction for folks moving forward because when it comes down to is people need to know what types of products and what is in the products that they are consuming and just having an unregulated market really has not provided any any benefit on a large scale sure sure gosh yeah it's it's uh, that helps a great deal to to understand that and it's and it also speaks to uh, that that confusion that can happen out there because when people when you really get into some of the details uh behind this as well and again you know folks out there who want to do the right thing and who, who want to make sure that they're abiding by uh the law and that sort of thing um so it is it is fascinating to to see how that all how that all plays out um and of course you know you mentioned legislation last year there's legislation this year even that's been introduced uh, to legalize use of medical cannabis um, in Kansas. This is actually legislation that, if I remember right, they did pass the House last year. Excuse me, it did pass the House last year. Uh, so there's some some more momentum uh, behind it than usual. Can you kind of explain what this legislation uh, would do and why it's so important? Yes. So there was a really strong movement last last year in 2021 to kind of reframe the issue of legalizing cannabis and 
the legislatures really got the idea from an economic level what this is going to do. And um, I think for um, so I what I will say is uh, there was a meeting today with uh, some leadership and and folks and what's going to happen is they're going to go back and kind of rework the bill that was introduced last year, which is uh, how substitute 158. Uh, Senate Bill 158. And they're going to kind of take some pieces perhaps from another bill as I think Senate Bill 315 and kind of come to terms on just some of the details. And it will be coming out of the uh, Senate House I'm sorry, the Senate Fed and State Committee. And so what this is going to do is it's going to create a, a cannabis program for patients and for the medical provider community. Uh, there's going to be a, a lot of opportunities for uh, continuing education for providers and licensing for as far as cultivation, processing and, and manufacturing of uh, cannabis and cannabis, cannabis based products. There in the larger kind of picture, what this is going to do is ultimately it's going to provide funding for things like harm reduction and education like we were talking about, because uh, it goes back to dare. Um, there are there are better ways to, to come at this from a community health standpoint. And those efforts can be funded directly by having a cannabis uh, program. And that's it, it. That's one of the things that that we need to to definitely look at. And it will also, um, you know, fund harm reduction as far as um, in, in other in other ways for for communities. Um, it's going to bring specialized, really good paying jobs, especially to rural and frontier counties, which is is what we need. Uh, we, we need folks to you know, stay in the community and come back to the community. Uh, and cannabis can allow that to happen in a lot of different ways and, and industrial hemp for that matter. But it it's a larger shift of kind of, you know, having cannabis utilization away from, from the criminalization back to, to public health, human rights. It's going to allow the state to compete really more on an economic level uh, with what, used to be illicit activity. And um, I think one of the, the main things that needs to happen is that there's a, a good equity movement because it can't this can't just be a bunch of white guys making money um, there. Th this has to be well represented. These are people in our community who are going to be providing treatments that are, are going to be benefiting people. And uh, they, that needs, you know, that needs to be representative uh, across the board. And um, it really, I think it's going to, uh, you know, breaking down the, the, the rules, uh, those who are breaking the rules can, can be more easily identifiable. And that's one of the, the key arguments for having a legal market too. Um, it, it's, it's just, we have to have public health protections and people have to have to know what they're consuming. So it, it allows for standards and a lot more, um, coming, coming to terms with the actual benefit of what this is going to provide. So, and I, and, and I think the a bill is, a, the bill is going to accomplish that, but regardless of, um, what exactly is passed this year, it's, it's, 
going to be a transformation and, and an evolution in itself. So it, it will always be, you know, <laughs> changing as we go. Absolutely. Along. Absolutely. I was just about to say, you know, this, especially in a time like now when we're, we're so concerned about um, our health and our community's health and, and you know, people are, are thinking more than ever. Um, I think about, about ways that we can help people uh, take charge of their, of their health. I mean, this seems like the perfect time to be talking about this kind of thing, you know, and for those, of course, too, you know, this is something that, that comes up um, each time this issue is debated both at the state level and federally as well. You know, there are, there are folks that, that are concerned about the impact of, of cannabis on the state and what legalization in some form can mean. And, you know, we've heard people f- before talk about, about cannabis as a gateway drug or they're concerned about the impact on crime and safety in their communities. Uh, you know, what would you say to folks who have the, some of those concerns? Those are valid concerns and there's a plenty of data out there about what can happen and what does happen. I think that it's kind of important to keep in mind that a lot of the fears that we've been told just haven't come to fruition in some states. That goes all the way from, you know, domestic violent crimes, especially people have said or had said prior to legalizations that it's just going to it's going to get really bad. States have consistently seen a, a drop in domestic violence in states that have have legalized, especially for medicinal use. There are statistics out there about fatalities and depending on what source you get your data from, uh, some of those may be skewed or biased. And so it's kind of we need to be we need to be looking at our sources, of course. You know, looking at things from CDC, adolescent use is not up in Colorado and um, some of these other legal states. So, uh, you know, the things that that we know about as far as putting context on like poison control. Well, there's a fear that the the state is going to get a lot more poison control calls because, um, you know, there are there are products out there that contain cannabis. And number one, that that can be mitigated or I guess kind of prevented through education and, and making sure that people know this is how it's, it's like any other medicine. You know, you have to keep these things away from children, uh, that, that type of um, those types of actions. But we have to realize that um, there's the statistic here 20, in 2019, the over 80 percent of the U.S. calls to poison uh, for poison exposure, 83 uh, percent, they were not fatal. And so cannabis in itself is not you, you can't overdose on cannabis. It's not like Oxycontin or, you know, some of these other really uh, kind of heavy narcotics that can kill you. Uh, so we kind of we need to put the put the things in, in perspective when talking about that. But um yeah, I, I do think that one of the important things uh, and there are myths, of course, about gateway gateway theory and, and all of that, but that really have just not there's no evidence behind that. And I would like f- folks for, for people to you know kind of see because I've seen it with with my own eyes in other legal states. People are going to benefit from legal access, even if they don't even utilize cannabis or, or work in the industry. They're going to see ancillary benefits impacted in their community just from the the 
economic development that's that's happening because you can rebuild infrastructure you can do the things that that we want to do with the with the extra funding that can come about from from something like this absolutely absolutely well you know for folks who want to keep track of this issue and and get the latest updates on kind of where things are uh, how do you suggest people would do that so the group kansas cannabis coalition my group as well kansans for hemp we are are working together along with other partnering organizations and you know those those were on facebook and twitter my Twitter is uh, green thumb underscore one O N E. Anyone can reach out. I I'm happy to share any types of, any type of information and data. Awesome. Very cool. There you go, folks. Of course, we'll share that information um, on our social media um, as well. So you have those, uh, those links and that information uh, following the interview today. Uh, well, of course, kind of before you get out here today, we want to have a, a little bit of fun and take a look back um, at some more of the history uh, behind uh, cannabis in America with a little trivia game for you, if that works. Yes. I'm All ready. right. All right. This will also help us uh, help us dive a little bit deeper and talk a little bit more. So our first question here this is a multiple choice one. Uh, in what year did the original propaganda film Reefer Madness air? Either 1930, 1936, 1940, or 1945? 1936, I believe. That is correct. 1936. And y'all, if you have not seen Reefer Madness, I, I, we can say this now in 2022. It's really become kind of this cult classic. It's kind of hilarious in a lot of ways, but it was this real attempt to, to for lack of a better word, kind of scare the crap out of people uh, back in the day and about the menace that was marijuana in America. I've got my Reefer Madness cup right here that I'm drinking <laughs> out of here. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, speaking of uh, Reefer Madness, staying on that topic for a bit, yeah, what were some of the, these are kind of fun, what were some of the things that the film said that marijuana would do to young people? What were some of the evil things they said would happen? So I remember the the film depicting um, there was a, a woman that jumped out of a window. Yeah. There, uh, yeah, there was definitely multiple uh, just sex crazed orgies and <laughs> and really also what kind of got me was the the thing about manipulation people thought that it was going to make you uh just very schizophrenic and want to manipulate and murder people and just yeah. go insane and it was it was very impactful in that way Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, the, the sex craze parties that, you know, would turn, it would, you know, I think at one point it said it would turn your daughters and, and sisters and wives into whores and it would turn men into vicious monsters. And I mean, all this stuff that we know now is, is, is a little crazy, but back then uh, was, was really effective for a lot of people. Any manner of really terrible, terrible thing uh, was attributed to, to marijuana in this, in this film. And you talk about this a little bit earlier too but who who were often the targets of some of the early laws and campaigns related to marijuana use who were some of those original groups this included people of color specifically uh, indigenous people from mexico and latin america black people yeah those were the unfortunate <laughs> targets 
they were they they were had it hoisted upon them uh the bigotry and racism that came about because of prohibition of cannabis absolutely yeah you know let's let let us not uh let's not forget uh, white people did drugs too uh back in the day but you know that that was the 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 thing that this film uh and those subsequent efforts did was it focused on this 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 particular drug and then used it as a way to really demonize just as guys said people of color uh immigrants in our community absolutely absolutely and and a, a stigma that has lasted uh in many ways to to present day America uh, as as well. Criminals. Uh, let's see our next question here. What was what was the unintended consequence of the Reefer Madness movie? So I think one of them was that it it, it kind of showed the hypocrisy to me of, of things like alcohol, which have it, it enjoyed decades of economic um, benefit and it, which is alcohol is far more damaging than, than cannabis. We know that now based on data, but people saw it and they, they, they said, I want to see if this is real. Right. Like I, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like dare. If they tell you, if you, if they tell you this is bad, you shouldn't do this. Oh, oh by the way, you you're going to have a bunch of people trying to sell you this and oh oh also this is how you smoke it and do all of this it's like why why is all of this such a big deal these people don't know how to handle this there's something more to it and so it caused be an unintended consequence was it caused <laughs> people to really dig deep and try to understand um and, and I, I think that's why it became a cult classic of satire, especially, uh, you know, 2015, I was in the musical version of, of Reefer Madness and TCT. <laughs> and it was one of the most amazing experiences I've, I've ever had in theater. And uh, I would do that show again in a heartbeat. And a part, part of it is because of the content itself. It's just we know that cannabis is, is quite possibly one of the, um, you know, leading social issues of of our time mm. and and really of humanity because if you go back in history cannabis it is argued that is it is the first um plant to be cultivated so it, it there it has been with humanity for millennia and it has been outlawed far less time than it has been a friend to humankind so Absolutely. I'm like, yeah, that nailed, nailed the answer. Yeah, it's, I love that fact that it became a, a cult classic. I, I read about, you know, it was even shown on, on college campuses to raise money towards legalization efforts, that sort of thing, because it did become just this kind of satire uh, uh, about it, which I thought was pretty, pretty hilarious in, in a lot of ways. It just shined a light on the fact that there are better ways to do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and of course, our last question is how many U.S. presidents that we know of, at least, uh, have admitted to using marijuana at some point in their life? OK, so I had to dig a little bit on this, but my understanding <laughs> is if, if we want to use the distinction of marijuana specifically and not the use of industrial hemp because here's the thing if we want to include all of the presidents that have that have also used industrial hemp i believe the total is 10 but if we're just talking about uh use of marijuana for you know recreation or medicinal use or you know medicinal use i believe it's five Gosh, you're so good. So yeah, you're right. So when we talk, if we took the the kind of the global uh, 
uh, scope and, and include all products, it's actually 11. So you're only off by one. It's 11. But if you're talking about, yeah, just actual recreational or, or medicinal use, we're at five. And so, yes, that includes uh, President Clinton, who admitted to smoking but not inhaling. And then that uh, includes President Obama, who admitted that he inhaled because that was the point, in his words. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny to see this. You know, and that goes to even, even the likes of uh, good old George W. Bush, uh, you know, good old conservative who admitted privately, of course, that, that he had done some, some experimentation of his own back in, in the day. And so it does kind of reveal this little hypocrisy slash just, you know, this is an experience of a lot of our elected, of course, we're just talking about presidents. We didn't even get into members of Congress or the rest of our elected officials as well who've, who've had probably experiences in some sort of way uh, with cannabis or marijuana. It's very interesting. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, Kelly, thank you, thank you so much for, for hanging out with us tonight, doing, doing a lot to educate us um, and let us know how we can keep track of this issue in the legislature. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, for folks out there listening, go ahead and stay tuned. After the break, we are going to finish things up as we always do with our take action moment of the night. You are listening to Ballads and Brews here on KSEP 75 Live Radio. Folks, we are going to wrap things up tonight with our take action moment of the night. And first things first, is always a general reminder of all the craziness going on in the Kansas legislature. Now is an important time to stay on top of all those resources that provide access and free information to what the goings on at the State House. Um, that includes the legislature's website itself, kslegislature.org. That's where you can find info on how to contact your legislators, see calendars for each day, etc. The legislature also has a YouTube channel now where you can watch all committee hearings and floor sessions live, um, so be sure to check that out. In terms of news sites, uh, we're going to, again, plug our friends at the Kansas Reflector, kansasreflector.com, who provide great and free in-depth analysis of issues going on in state government. And, of course, we also have our local paper, which you should always support, the Topeka Capital Journal. Um, and, of course, there is a cost associated with that, but we do know it is important to support, support local journalism as well. Um, of course, on Twitter, be sure to follow that uh, hashtag KSLEG, KSLEG, hashtag uh, to get all the nitty gritty updates. Uh, we also recommend following the organization Loudlight. Uh, their handle is just at loud underscore light. Uh, Davis Hammett and their crew uh, there do a great job of keeping uh, up with everything and they really have these great weekly recap videos that they put out there. You can watch get caught up on all the latest greatness happening at the legislature. Um, on the local government side of things, one thing I actually didn't mention earlier, we are getting ready to hire a new fire chief uh, as well in our community. So in addition to hiring a new city manager, we're also hiring a new fire chief. Uh, so there will be uh, probably an opportunity coming up here very soon to meet the candidates for, for that position. And of course, you can feel free to email your city council member your thoughts on the traits that you think that role should have. Uh, I do think that the city uh, probably learned a little bit from the reaction to the police chief hiring process. And so I think they are working to try and allow some more public uh, comment opportunities for that hire. Uh, a note, too, on keeping up with things with the city, if you don't follow the City of Topeka on social media, I highly encourage you to do so. It's just at City of Topeka on Twitter and just City of Topeka Government on Facebook. They live stream all City Council meetings on Facebook, uh, as well as a good majority of the City Council committee meetings uh, that they have. Um, they also have some other special features. They put out a little recap video, actually, after each City Council meeting uh, that explains what the City Council did at that meeting the day before. 
Uh, Mayor Padilla has also continued uh, a tradition of having a weekly press conference that he does with interim state manager Bill Cochran. Uh, this was something I believe started by uh, our former mayor, Mayor Dale Isla, uh, which he did with our former city manager, Brent Trout. Uh, that press conference is posted online weekly, uh, live on the city's Facebook page, so you can watch that as it happens as well. So lots of ways to stay engaged and informed with everything that is going on. Just wanted to give you a little snippet of that information here tonight. And that, folks, is our show for tonight. Thanks for tuning in as always. If you don't follow us on social media, be sure to do so at Ballots Brews on Twitter and just Ballots and Brews on Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss an episode. And of course, if you feel so inclined and like what you hear, you can leave us a rating, a review on those platforms. Until next week, folks, please, please, please stay safe, drink some good beer, and we'll see you next week here on Ballots and Brews on KSET 75 Live Radio.
new beginning comes from some other beginnings 